Welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. We're a podcast that brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Wachiro. And on this episode, we're featuring The Prostitute and Heartbreak by Michael Ochoki. Today I remembered your body. I shut my eyes and your face came floating in the dark. The silhouette wasn't shaped like a heart. It was small. Small not as in tiny and shiny, but small because it fit in my arms perfectly when I held it to kiss it. I remember how I could kiss that face the whole Sunday afternoon and your earlobes and your cheeks that would flush crimson. (laughs) Giggles that escaped your mouth like crystal bubbles as I traced the bridge of your tiny nose. The lips were tiny too, like white women's, but they tasted of promise in a moment. And I would unzip them with the tip of my tongue. The tongue would dive deep, looking for home. I would floss your teeth with the waters of my mouth. You would raise your body as an ocean wave meeting the moon. And then you would shudder like a small hurricane. Like a waterfall, I would proceed down to the heaving mounds of your small breasts cascade on the nipples torture them torture myself with your existence i would keep flowing smudging your flat tummy with mouth strokes i would paint you down to your oasis the wetness the warm wetness i wanted to be wet like you so i pushed in And you gasped, we gasped, faster, faster, faster. I slid my arms beneath your shoulders. You held tight. We wanted to melt into one candle, burn off together. Today I remembered you saying you were leaving. People always leave. Half the human race struts around the earth with sad faces because people left. Lovers, parents and friends. They always leave. Ultimately, existence is all about leaving. But you were just visiting your mom in Nakuru for two weeks. Just across town. Just a few hours drive from LD. And that evening, I cried on your shoulder. That was cowardly, I told myself afterwards. But what else could I do when a part of me was leaving for 14 days? Do you know how long that is for a heart that depends on another body to keep beating? Do you know that when you are 21, all you want is love, to fuck, to love, to be fucking happy? And 14 days is, you know, 14 lifetimes. Three days after you left, Wangeshi showed up. She was a neighbor next door. I know you remember her. She and her husband were teenagers trying to start a marriage. A pitiable scene because Roba was a broke liquor head. 
a class 7 dropout selling second hand clothes in West Indies market. Wangeshi had missed her period when in Form 3 at Moy Girls and had quit school. She had miscarried, so she spent days and days in bed. Occasionally, she came out in her shorts to sun herself. Her thick brown legs and that kikuyu are so flawless, you wouldn't believe she just had a miscarriage. And you guys got close. Got to talk things. Got to invite her in for tea. Got to go to the salon together. Meanwhile, Robai and I went out for drinks together and talked about the two of you. How juicy your young churches were. Wangeshi came over three days after you left. Robao was out hustling as usual. When Wangeshi came, I was watching an episode of House of Cards. Mambo, <laughs> Nikopoa. Kuna chaiko flask. Thanks, but Nikopoa. We didn't talk much. It has always been like that. Brother code. You don't get too chatty with your neighbor's wife. Wangeshi was in her shorts, her beautiful legs on the couch. She propped her head on the couch pillows as we watched the movie. Chewing gum all along. I joined on the couch. When I touched her face, she didn't resist. She just kept staring at the screen. I touched her neck, then her shoulders. She turned to look at me. I stared into her. She was a swimming pool, and I was looking for my own reflection. She slouched down on the couch, into which her body seemed to sink. I kept my hands going. Her breathing quickened. I then carried her off to bed and lay her down delicately. She reached down and slid her own panties off and let them hang on on one leg, just in case. Someone knocked the door while we were at it. We fucked. God, we came long and hard and fucked again. <laughs> Sex at ten in the morning is saccharine. She went back to her house like nothing happened. Today, I remembered that too. That I cheated on you and you never found out. Or maybe you did, but you, you didn't care. What you don't know can't hurt you, right? How could you not have found out when you came back from Nakuru? Wangeshi's body was on my mind. I hated and blamed you and said that maybe your little tour to Nax had been to see some boyfriend. I blamed you because something was different about you. Fight started over the smallest shit. When I said I didn't want you walking around with Angeshi, you looked at me and shook your head. Maybe we need a break, I replied, eyes on my phone. And you said, fine. That was it. No tears, no goodbyes, just fine. I found that weird. My ego went flat that you couldn't put up a fight to defend what we had built four and a half years. No. Fine. You just packed. You walked out. Fine. Now, 
There are a million ways of dealing with a breakup. One, you could spend hours believing it never happened, that she's just bluffing. She'll bring her ass back after two hours. You don't bother to call or text. Be a fucking man, man. <laughs> Pour yourself a drink and breathe. Two, you can lock yourself in your bedroom for two days, crying. Delete all texts and photos while in there. Delete the past. Change your WhatsApp profile to something that suggests desolation. Any Nazi quotes as a status. Three, you can go out and drink and party and yell all night and then cry. Cry quietly at the back of the taxi, back to an empty house. Spend the following day with a pounding headache, listening to a sad, slow song on repeat. Four, you can attempt suicide. She might bring you flowers at the hospital, kiss your hand, cry, sympathize and say, Baby, I'm sorry. Let's start over. But you can't because uh, you have too much pride. You don't want to die either. Because even in your death, you will imagine her happy and sucking off another man and washing dishes for him. You know, all the things that she did for you. Death is not enough. Five, you can call Wangeshi over after her husband has gone to work. You fuck Wangeshi imagining it is Clara's body. You flip Wangeshi over like the pancakes Clara used to cook. You viciously nail her as you cry internally. The tears come out only through your penis into Wangeshi's. You poison her with your pain. You're punishing her, punishing all women, punishing Clara's body. But her body was your body. So this sex with Wangeshi doesn't heal you. Nobody can sex you the way Clara used to. You could get lost in the memory of how sweaty and sweet the sex or lovemaking, as she used to call it, used to be. And masturbate once or twice for old time's sake. Six, you can go berserk and write her stupid messages if she hasn't already changed her number or blocked you. You can tell her how fucking glad you are that it's over, how her pussy was too big anyway, how terrible a cook she was, how too skinny her thighs were, ass so small it only fit a palm of your hand, how you never loved her anyway, how you wanted to end the whole thing ages ago, but you are bidding time, how you are relieved it's over, you text all this crap. You wait for five minutes, 30 minutes, Eight hours, two days, she writes nothing back. You feel like a moist piece of dog turd. Every time the phone beeps, your heart pounds like, Ah, I knew this bitch would text back. Only to find that it's your landlord. Your phone is a weapon of torture. You switch it off, switch it back on after two minutes, expecting 600 missed calls and texts. Nothing. Not even your boys are texting you today. Nature is conspiring against you. God wants you to die. 7. You can start stalking her social media. See if she has moved on. She has. Because there's no Terry post about you. About men. Or how stupid men are. Or how men are skunks. None. Only 
selfies with some friends. She was in Club 44 after the breakup. She went swimming the following afternoon. She frets over schoolwork. She's doing her masters at Baraton. She looks happy. Eh? And that kills you more. You ceased to exist the moment she said, fine, through her teeth and left. You expected her to deactivate her account and cry herself to sleep for two weeks just like the other broken-hearted girls you had dated before. You expected her to text you back, begging, saying, Please, let's start over. Life is stuck without you. None of that happens. This is not the Clara you know. Eight, you can call up Sammy and tell him about the breakup. But... Your boy Sammy has been single for years. He sees no sense in relationships. Sometimes you suspect that he's a homo. You know, he will laugh it off. Tell you, fuck bitches, bana. Get money, bro. That's the motto. But he has no bitch or money, so you don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Nine, you can buy flowers and chocolate. Show up at her apartment in Elgonview uninvited. There are two possible outcomes. She will slam the door shut in your face or invite you in. An awkward silence will follow if she invites you in. She will be in a nightdress. The one you bought her a year ago. The one that traces the curves of her small ass. The one that reaches mid-thigh. And you will look at those thighs and lust will set your body ablaze and block your fuck-up mind. You can't afford to lose all this. All this hair, this intimidating silence, these drowsy eyes, this hand on her waist, this woman. No way. So you'll want to say something. You will clear your throat. <coughs> you will stutter. Um, um, how, how have you been? Before she responds, her new guy will walk in from the bathroom. A towel wrapped around his waist. When you left, I remember sitting at the edge of the bed, thinking, with a cigarette between my lips. Now what? All seemed so empty. The house, the bed, the future, the furniture and the pair of panties you left in the bathroom on purpose. I sniffed them, trying to rekindle a memory. Nothing. I still felt empty. Your absence sucked life out of everything. My heart felt like a pricked balloon, slowly deflating, slowly becoming a dried-up tendril in my ribcage. Hmm. This is how loneliness feels like. I remember us arguing about the nature of things. Why people fall in love. Why we start wars. And I said, it was all about food. Food? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you laughed and mock punched my stomach. I said, yeah, we are the food to the universe. We eat to replicate. We are drawn to other people who can either offer means to acquire food or replicate or both. We fight those who threaten our means to get food or replication. We fight them emotionally and physically. 
So am I food to you? I said, yeah. Love and sex are forces that propel humans to replicate, provide more fodder for the universe and death and time. Otherwise, the romanticization of sex and love is a silly idea. Man tends to revere things he doesn't understand. So loneliness is the only true essence of being. To which you would respond, You mean you say you don't love me or you're with me because you can't be alone? Then I would ask, What do you think? I think you're crazy. Which I was, because um, I'm the one who introduced you to Uncle Paul. We visited him in Cahoya. In his 60s, he had a bad eye that teared all the time. His napkins were all soiled yellow. His being in Cahoya meant that someone else was managing his law firm at Bargatuni Plaza. I told you Uncle Paul had paid my way through college. He was my father when my father walked out one night, and I told you I had never told this to anyone before. I told Uncle we would marry someday. We planned a future together. Children, getting rich, touring, all lovers wanted to travel. Silly dreams of young lovers, flying to Zanzibar for a vacation, having sex on any beach in East Africa. <laughs> all that sounded empty. My days are empty, Clara. That evening, at around seven, I dragged my sawdust to Sanjel for a beer. It was empty, save for a waiter mopping the counter behind a muted giant TV screen. An empty soccer match was on. The stadium, somewhere in England, littered with empty fans waving red and white flags. I ordered a cold beer, sipped to fill up my emptiness, and it burned down my throat like battery acid to an empty stomach. The pub started filling up, one by one. Men in empty suits from empty jobs occupied the tall stools at the bar. We shared empty stairs or raised a glass and nodded at each other in quiet acquaintance. By 12 a.m. I had clubbed up from Sanjel to Caesar's place, then back to Sanjel like a restless schoolboy. <laughs> I was dead drunk by then. I staggered across the roundabout to Who's Pub. We used to come around here for movies at Sociani Cinema, just a floor below the pub. Before I hit the stairs, a woman crept from the shadows. Sasa, utatoa ngapi? Vitu gani I cursed and climbed the stairs to the warm temperature of rumba music, thick women, and the smell of beer. I ordered one and then swept my eyes across the room. In one corner, an overweight bald head had his stubby fingers up a 20-something-year-old skirt. At the next table, two heavy brown skins flanked some guy who seemed to enjoy all the happiness I was looking for. One of the brownies had a jeans so low her butt glistened with a trillion stretch marks. In the small dance floor, empty, brainless people swayed to empty noise from the speakers. 
Beer in hand, I joined the emptiness on the dance floor. Every time I swayed my waist close to a girl, she would take one look at me and move away. Were I sober, that would have fucked up my self-esteem. But here I was, not giving a fuck because the only person I cared about was gone. And fine, is all she had said. Fed up, the pub puked me out to the cold eldritch wind at 1am. The same prostitute was still posted there. Thigh so fine you couldn't believe a thousand dicks had been through her. I was horny as a rabbit. Combined beer and loneliness, some vulnerability is born. Sasa, uliamuaje? She asked, wriggling like a worm towards me. I said, One finger. Sawa. Na lodging? That's how they trap you. Bargain pussy to 50 bob? They always get you by the lodging trick. All I needed was a bang bang behind the alley between Dupawa and Shah Hardware Store. Mid-month is recession time for most prostitutes in LD. Kalenjin farmers had not yet made a kill from selling wheat to come and spoil them. Some would be famed to spend 50k a night on pussy when the money came. But mid-month? Horny hustlers would rule the streets again. I grabbed her hand and walked with her towards the main stage. We passed street kids rubbing palms next to a fire lit from cartons and dry garbage. I stopped to light a cigarette and they said, Mze, nipe paf, hata mimi jo. I handed them the whole downhill pack and walked on. Behind Sam's club, there's a shortcut to Merita Lodging where people get mugged a lot. We walked on. I felt like getting mugged that night. Somebody snatched my heart and, and threw it onto the street. Let it be run over by a car at full speed. I felt like a wall ready to be crushed into a wrecking ball. The fat lady at the entrance of the lodge asked for 200 bob. I paid an extra 50 for the condoms. She had probably witnessed men walk in with the same prostitute 10 times that night. I slammed the door shut and threw up the whole skirt. I gave her the 150, then went wild. I was rummaging her against the wall. I didn't even know what her name was. Nobody ever knows a prostitute's name. But I remember yelling out, Clara, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, as I plunged into the whore's moneymaker. At last, she pulled me off saying, Una new misa. So we took to the rickety bed with a thinning mattress. My jeans down to my ankles. She pushed me down the small bed, got on top, and worked me. My thing kept slipping in and out, but we kept going. I kept mumbling. Sorry, Clara. Sorry, Clara. Sorry. And the whole got belligerent. To which I exploded so hard the condom could have burst. But who cared? This was Clara expunging out of my system. 
She pulled down her skirt and left me cursing, picking up my things, socks, whatever it was, as she was dressing up. I walked out of Merita lodging, feeling sober, and a little lighter on my feet like I just walked out of a yoga class. I wanted a smoke. I reached out to my pockets and there was, there, there was nothing there. No wallet, no phone. I checked in all my jean pockets and, and there, was, there was nothing. Ah, that goddamn pickpocketing bitch. Ah. I ran back to the lodge to ask the lady if she saw the direction the hole had gone. I don't know, she replied, chewing gum. I went back to the room, checked out under the bed, pillow, anywhere, nothing. Fuck, fuck, fuck! Clara. Clara. <laughs> That's when the tears came. I just put my face on my palms and my body started convulsing. 21 and lonely and looking for love in the wrong places. My body just shook. This body that had cost me you. I let it move. I let it flood. I let it soak my t-shirt wet. And I remember that night. <laughs> the streets just looked on, unmoved as you, Clara, slipped through my tear-soaked fingers. <laughs> the Prostitute in Heartbreak was written by Michael Ochoki. Michael is a Kenyan poet and artist currently working as a music producer in Eldoret, Kenya. His poems and stories have appeared or shortlisted in Best New African Poets Zimbabwe, Story Moja, Praxis Magazine, Kalahari Review, and African Writer, and many others. He was the first runner-up in the Nyanza Annual Literary Festival in 2017. He's currently finishing his debut book, Love Me or I Will Kill Myself. Nipe Story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. If you have a short story that you'd like to share, please email us at producer at fingerpiano.co.ke. Make sure your word count is between 750 to 4,500 words. Michael kindly shared his story with us. Hit the follow or like buttons and even rate us. And please spread the word about Nipe Story. Follow us here on SoundCloud. On Facebook, we are Nipe Story, and our Twitter handle is Nipe underscore Story. Nipe Story is a finger piano production. <laughs>